Welcome, People First Leaders. This is a special episode of the Leading People First podcast, where you get to listen in on the honest and uncomfortable conversations from our latest Leaders of Equity, Allyship, and Diversity event. If you are ready to take a stand and take action against hate, violence, inequity, and injustice in our society, you are not alone. The Leaders for Equity, Allyship, and Diversity host weekly events to allow leaders to come together, discuss, learn, share, and activate to make a difference in the world. Listen to the end to get more information how you can join us at our next live event. In this episode, Paul Zaints Lewis takes us through baking DEI into the learning programs that develop teams and employees. So get ready to come together and lead, and let's dive in. Paul Lewis is not only a pimp, he is also an MBA. Uh, He has over three decades of international business and training experience in hospitality and travel, aerospace, financial manufacturing, and the consulting industries. Prior to joining Workforce Insight as a training consultant, Paul worked with Deloitte Tax, very exciting, in Santiago, Chile, Miami, and Denver, for a decade developing and implementing regional and global business transformation programs, as well as serving as a global engagement manager. He is especially adept at providing engaging technical and transformational change management training to staff, supervisors, and leadership. He loves to ski. He is absolutely hilarious, and he speaks fluent Spanish. That's not on his bio but it's really, really fun when you think you're getting away with something and you're not. So uh, without further ado, here is Paul, who I should uh, let you all know is a friend of mine. So, Yes. Thank you, Sarah. Well, now I have to take out my bio slide (laughs) in the presentation, (laughs) but thank you. And hello, everybody. (laughs) I'm really happy to be here. Um, We were having a conversation earlier. I, I rushed over and um, if, if anything looks out of place, uh, I am moving my mother in almost next door to us today. My husband, who is from Chile, is thrilled because of the Latino emphasis on family and being close and taking care of each other. And so whenever I kind of roll my eyes about, oh, no, um, he kind of resets me. But I just rushed over after that, and I'm looking forward to this as being an end of moving heavy furniture. Um, I'm going to open up the the deck now, so I'm going to share my screen, but before I do, I'd really like to emphasize, I'd like to make this as interactive as possible. I really prefer to have a conversation rather than just to present. There are some items that I'll be presenting, especially if you're not familiar with instructional design, but I'm not here to teach you to be an instructional designer. I'm just trying to maybe put something in your toolkit so that if you end up being an accidental trainer or you have to make a presentation, you can go back and think about how to make it as inclusive as possible. So by no means am I gonna be focusing on the instructional design side of things. Really, I wanna talk about inclusivity, getting DEI into our, our way of thinking when we start preparing to speak to people. So let me jump uh, over. And please let me know if you can see my screen. Yes, okay, perfect. Um, So going, let's, there we go. Why isn't it moving? All right, so today uh, I'm going to have one slide and nothing more about what is instructional design or ID as we call it. Then we're going to jump into one of the many, many models that are out there for creating a design program. So I'm using Addy, which is what the Association for Talent Development uses, and that's who I work with, um, especially and where I got much of my education. But there are many other models, so I don't want you to go away thinking this is the only way to do it. And then at the very end of the presentation, I have an exercise using a persona. And we'll talk about personas, not in a business sense. I'll explain what they are if you're unfamiliar with the term. Um, But we'll look at it, what traditionally a persona is used for and how we can use a persona to to remind ourselves to be inclusive in our presentation and training development and delivery. So as Sarah said, this is me. Uh, Please focus on the headshot. As I said today, I've been moving my my mom around, but uh, she mentioned most of this. I have been lucky enough to travel quite a bit, both with work and in in my personal life. I spent 10 years in Chile, it's where I met my husband, um, came back and became very involved, not only in Deloitte as 
uh, change management practitioner, but also with our inclusion program. And that was when it was D and I before we got equity in there. Uh, but it was a great place to be. Uh, Deloitte really opened my eyes because they really do everything. They, they, they make sure that if they're going to do something, they do it well. So I was very happy to get my, my uh, kind of inclusion, diversity and inclusion experience started off with them. So now we're going to go into our first breakout. Um, and actually, I don't know, um, maybe, honestly, Chris, I think with the number of people that we have here right now, um, maybe we can just, instead of a breakout, have this uh, as a conversation among us. Um, if you've been, this is kind of activating what we call activating your prior, prior knowledge. Um, think of a training program you've attended in the past that sticks out to you. Um, why does it stick out, good or bad? Uh, why, did it matter if it was inclusive? Was it inclusive? Uh, and so instead of identifying a word slinger, uh, let's just have everyone, if you'd like to, come off of mute uh, and let us know uh, what this training program is that sticks out to you and what you thought of it from an inclusion perspective. You know what? I can go first. I was at a company um, and we had a meeting that was done at a fast walk outdoors which um, was difficult for me and very difficult for the person in the wheelchair. Yeah. So I'll go with that. <clears throat> yeah, that, um, <laughs> why, why do you think they decided to do a walking meeting? Because one of the unspoken values of that organization was the way you look, um, which translated into how fit you were um, obviously you can't put that as a value, but that's, that was what the truth was. So. Well, <laughs> luckily for, hopefully for some people, that was a learning experience. Well, is it anybody else? So. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Does anyone else have an experience they'd like to share? Hey, Paul, I'll, I'll go. Oh, go ahead, Jeff. You share Latanya? Yeah. Okay, I'll go next, Paul. Um, my name Great. is Jeff Welch. I'm uh, calling you today from Atlanta, Georgia. I've been in corporate and organizational training for the vast majority of my career, a little over 20 years. And for 19 of those years, I was an instructor with Langevin Learning Services, the world's largest train-the-trainer company. And I think we <clears throat> did a really good job at creating, I know the facilitators always would, at creating an environment that was um, inclusive, uh, allow uh, honoring pronouns, uh, getting everybody involved as much as possible. I even think sometimes, but I don't know how much of a strategic effort this was. I do think our instructional designers, because we had a whole separate design team in Canada, um, they would do things like when they would design, say, a case study would use names that sometimes would sound ethnic. Uh, they would oftentimes uh, use graphics and pictures that, you know, displayed a whole array of races and genders. But the reason why I said I don't know how specific it was, was because one time we rolled out a new course and whoever was over this one, like really seriously dropped the ball. And I remember some of the graphics, particularly like the cover page of this graphic, uh, of this on this particular manual, it was like an older gray haired Caucasian gentleman who was sitting at a desk, almost kind of like at the throne, if you will. And around him were mostly women and maybe one or two other men. And they all happened to be Caucasian too. And when I saw this, I was like, oh, here we go. Um, and I was going to say something, but never got around to doing it. And then I taught the course and I'm telling you, before I could even introduce myself, people in my audience were like, what, what, what is this? So we, it was changed. We, we changed it. So I just, I'll say this and then I'll wrap it up because I've monopolized too much time as it is. It's an effort that has to be, in my humble opinion, paid attention to from beginning to end. It has to be specific. It has to be strategic. We can't just have a one-off where we slip because it's just not good for business. And you've touched on a few points that I'll be getting to as well. How do we institutionalize getting DEI into our programs? And also, where does it start? So mm -hmm. we'll talk about that in a moment. Thank you. 
Latanya, did you have something that you'd like to uh, contribute? Yes, uh, I think that one of the most uh, inclusive trainings that I have attended uh, was led by two black women in an all Caucasian audience. And it was the first time I think this company had actually had that. So the inclusion piece was actually seeing someone else besides someone Caucasian leading a discussion around DEIP and what it needs to look like. And it did matter because everyone really perked up when we had the women to be able to lead. So that was really significant. Great, thank you. Does anybody else have something from a previous training experience that, that uh, you'd like to mention, whether it was inclusive or not? Looks like and Gloria not, has her hand up. Oh, great. Yes, I do. Um, this was a university setting. So I don't know, it's a higher education, you call it in the US. Mm -hmm. And so it was a, a gathering of academics and students and mostly international students. And I actually happened to organize this event. And I remember sitting the most highest senior person in the university, which is our deans, sitting beside international student. And I made sure that they weren't just congregated on one table. They were all spread across. And I remember international student coming after the meeting to say how nervous they were, but then at the start, and but they realized that they were human. <laughs> this, you know, big academics with big beard and white coat were just human. And they just love being able to ask questions, be, you know, not having all the right answers because, you know, you're talking with academics and dean and professors and, and they were all spread across. So I think that, even though it wasn't DEI in mind, but I think that something like that is really organic and, mm. and it really um, spread, you know, knowledge across and, and people mingling with very, very young student and a very, very senior um, professors. So I thought that was pretty cool. You know, and for people who have just the mindset Sometimes that just does feel organic. It's just the way, the right way to do things. Um, that's a great story and I really appreciate it. Thank you. So let's move on um, to talking a little bit about, I'm, as I said, I'm using Addy, but, and of course, Jeff here as a, as a seasoned professional in my own industry, um, please, and anybody else who, who also knows about instructional design, feel free to jump in. Uh, I am by no means going to give you a com comprehensive how to design and this is not how to design DEI training. This is just how to take some of the textbook definitions of the different stages of, of developing a training program and then adding some inclusive thought to it to go above and beyond. Um, so first, for those of you that don't know what instructional design is, I'm not gonna read this whole thing, but the University of Michigan has this entire paragraph about what it is. I have highlighted five words analysis, design, development, implementation, and evaluation. Uh, and if you think about that, it, the acronym is A-D-D-I-E, or ADDI. Uh, but there is a process to it. Now it is what, it's relatively new, like much of change management, you know, training is part of change management. You don't train for change. If, if you're training just for the sake of training, uh, what's the point? You're always looking for a, an outcome uh, that is different from the current state. So training does fall within the entire idea of change management or the entire um, uh, practice of change management, but it is very specific. And as I said, Addy is just one of these models that will, that I'm looking at today. There's another one called, I mean, there's many, I'm not going to go down that rabbit hole because that's not what we're here for. But if you have more, if you're interested, I can certainly tell you more about it. So again, uh, moving into the process model, Addy, we see those words again, analysis, design, develop, implement, and evaluate. My next question to you, and we've touched on this already, is where do you see the application of inclusive behaviors in the Addy model? Where does inclusivity begin? I would say it. Oh, sorry, go ahead. Go, go ahead, Gloria. Come on, Queen. Well, I was just going to say from analysis, it, it, it sort of runs through every single one of them, but it has to start with 
the planning, the unknown, yeah. Exactly. I mean, we need to go into not just ID, but if we are truly going to represent people who are not are thoughtful of and committed to DEI, it needs to be at the beginning of everything we do. It doesn't even need to be at the beginning. It just needs to be what we bring to it as our as ourselves going into any project. So that's great. And Jeff, you had mentioned that when you were talking about your experience where, you know, you noticed that in you weren't sure whether people were actually planning for inclusivity or whether it just happened naturally, but as you did touch on the fact that it starts at the beginning. So perfect. So now I'm going to run through, and this is going to be very quick. Um, I'm going to run through a few slides that tell us what the textbook definition of each phase is or each stage. And then I'll look at what we can do to bring an inclusive perspective to each of the stages. Again, feel free to jump in. Let me know from your experience what has worked for you, if you have any great uh, insights or best practices that you've developed. But for analysis, we talk about needs requirements, the tasks that need to be completed, who the learner is, and what their current capabilities are. But let's look at preparing an inclusive program. And on this slide, I have two different sections. Uh, I have imperative, and then the next one will be nice to have. And imperative is what I say is something that's necessary for every session. Uh, so we would be um, looking at knowing your learners. But of course, we, need, we always want to know who our audience is. But can we get information about uh, their background? Do they have any um, disabilities that we need to think of in developing the program? How can we get more information about who our audience will be from an inclusive perspective to make sure that what we design is going to be appropriate for the audience? Uh, create personas. This is going to be our exercise toward the end of the presentation. Uh, personas are what many of us use to, to go through all of our programs and look at it from the different perspectives of of different social person personas. And as I say, we'll talk about that again uh, a little bit later. Now we have what our judgment calls, or these are nice to haves. These only apply in certain circum uh, circumstances and they do require quite a bit of cultural awareness. If you're only, th these might not apply to you if you're only preparing training for a specific group of people um, you know, over and over. But uh, in, some in some senses, we might need to think about the location or jurisdiction. Um, and this is very important for me as, as a gay man. I need to be aware of, is it even legal for me to speak about homosexuality? Can I even tell people that I have a husband? You know, there are laws around the world that definitely restrict what can be said, what can be promoted. And so we need to be uh, very aware of that. Also, will it work against us even if it's legal? Uh, are we doing something for a, for a manufacturing company in the deep south that has very, very conservative views? Uh, so, you know, is it our place to start to try to bring in, and this is something that everybody has to answer, and it, that's why I say it's a judgment call, is this something that we should even bring into the conversation or will it take away from the goal of the training program that we're, that we're developing? Uh, faith and holidays, of course. And I mean, you can, you, you can hear about this so many times. Um, I, I had, a, I had a, a trainer come from the United States when I was working in Chile. I was not, in, I was not the contact person. They were coming down to do a week-long training program in September, starting on September 18th. Well, September 18th is Chile's largest holiday. December, uh, September 19th is Chile's second largest holiday. And most people take the entire week off. <laughs> and so the trainer showed up with all of her materials. No one had bothered to tell her that uh, there was a holiday. And she basically turned around and went home the next day and had to reschedule because no one had told her. But she also didn't do her research. So it's not up to us necessarily to rely on the people that we're working with when we're going someplace to train. And we need to be, we need to take ownership of understanding what is happening um, in, in these countries. Another uh, experience that I had, which I really loved was um, a different colleague was uh, in India uh, doing a training program. And at the end of it, there was a big gala. Well, it turned out that for uh, one of the religions in India, that date was a very important date. 
one of the attendees came to her and said, you know what, this, I, I, my family was really hoping that I'd be with them, but I wanted to be here because this was a great program and I wanted to let you know that I enjoyed it. And she took that information and before even officially opening, when she got up in front of everyone, she acknowledged the fact that she messed up. Uh, she effectively took the microphone and said, you know, I understand that today is a very important day for some of you, and I want to thank you for being here. Uh, I unfortunately did not, uh, you know, however she presented it, I, you know, she took ownership of it, which is very important to do, and then learned from it. So then that was documented again in, in some of the paperwork, but it's important, of course, if you do make a mistake to take ownership. And now we come back again to knowing your client, not just your audience, but your client, especially if you're designing for a third party. Um, how does your inclusive approach fit into the culture of that company? And how does it affect their desired outcome? So once again, is it appropriate for us to push certain items or even just to mention something within the context of the training? So we move into the design phase, and this is really where we look at what are the learning objectives? Uh, you know, each competency or task that people need to learn. You train for knowledge or ability. And so what is it that they need? To, what are the objectives uh, that you're trying to reach? Assessments or tests, you know, how, how are we going to show that they've mastered the tasks that we're training? Are there prerequisites to the training? Uh, what's the sequence and structure of the topics and lessons? And then, of course, um, instructional delivery media or methods. I'm sure all of you are already thinking about what this could entail from an inclusive perspective. Um, so we'll jump in to what this means. So I love this word. Uh, someone, was, someone used this for me with, um, with a different program, and I, and I just fell in love with it. Decolonize language, exercises, and activities. So take, just take, you know, the, take the standard, the old fashioned definitions of who is taking this training and get rid of them. Make sure that everything is as inclusive as possible. Make sure that you're looking at um, exercises and activities, uh, especially using the persona exercise that we'll be doing to make sure that you're accommodating for all of the different learners that you might have. Uh, so you might have mobility, uh, vision, hearing uh, restrictions. So some of those need to be taken into account. When we're talking about inclusiveness, we're not always looking at race, gender, sexual orientation, but also the different disabilities that can be present in our audiences. We also need to think about our prerequisites and assessments. Um, one of the things that at Deloitte I realized is that people from Deloitte USA, I started with Deloitte in Chile, people from Deloitte USA would come down and expect that we had access to all of the systems, all of the information, all of the, the many, many libraries of documents that the United States has, but we don't. So even though it's the same company, you might be have people who are in offices that don't have the same access to information. You also might have people who don't have the same access to education. So understanding what the educational level and what the ability to, to um, to I'll get to <laughs> information uh, is very necessary so that you can have a, an understanding of what the baseline really can be. Uh, then you also can look into requesting information. And this is how we can get around. So previously I was talking about know your audience and know your clients. Well, know your audience is important, but you can't always ask for information about disabilities. Uh, you can't ask for the type of information that's going to help you be inclusive. This is where, especially on larger programs that have some planning that go into them, you're able to maybe send out a survey and you can ask people, what, are you, what, what do you hope to get out of this class? Uh, and then of course, through those, those questions, is there anything else I should know or we should know? Uh, and you can even put down, do you require any special accommodation? And then it's on their side to be able to answer that or not. You're not demanding it from them and it's up to them to let you know whether they would like an accommodation or not. Almost done with these slides and then we're gonna get into the fun part, but here we're in the development. How are we going to develop our training program? So uh, this is a, a production activity that includes creating participant learning materials. So workbooks, practices, case studies, uh, maybe pre-programmed e-learning. 
And I'm sure based on our conversation, you're already thinking about what this means from an inclusive point of view. Uh, facilitator guide, uh, if it's appropriate. Visual aids, I know, how do you think those can be inclusive? And, and test materials or the pilot test. Before I go in, I've been doing a lot of talking myself. So rather than jump into how I would recommend that we prepare this to be inclusive, what are some of your thoughts about how to create, be sure that we're creating inclusive learning materials, um, guides, visual aids, uh, or other items that would go into the programs? Well, I can start off. Uh, I mentioned it a little bit earlier when you were asking the question of, have we ever attended a course that was either inclusive or exclusive? I think it can be something as simple as really being conscious of your visual materials. So if there's any sort of graphics or illustrations, make sure that they represent the whole entire spectrum from gender to ethnicities, to disability. I think that sends a strong message as it relates to um, just the aesthetic. When I open up a manual, if it's 400 pages and it has some graphics, I at least wanna see somebody in those 400 pages that looks like me. Right. Excellent, excellent. I think uh, having the facilitator guide has been super helpful uh, when I have led those and when I've had it from other people. And I think it's really great to do the survey to find out a little bit more about the audience you're going to have. And just to piggyback on that, for a training that I'm doing for a company where it's DIB anti-racism and I met with the CEO and the, and the founders. And as they were sharing with me their information, I said, well, what about your team? What do they want to know? What do they want to get out of it? Did they facilitate this discussion? And that's what I learned but the team wanted to have an anti-racism training. It was great. So I was like, great, so I know what I'm walking into. So those are a couple of things that I think are important. Great, thank you. Well, let, let's see what I have come up with uh, and see if you agree with that <laughs> or, or not. Getting into media and materials. Um, can you produce bilingual materials if necessary? That was, you know, Deloitte had this requirement that if you were a manager, you had to speak English. But Deloitte also had a requirement that you had to be a very good accountant or tax practitioner to be able to be in those roles. And strangely enough, studying accounting in foreign languages do not go hand in hand. And so we found quickly, maybe I need to provide some of my materials in Spanish. Uh, can we produce large print guides? Um, and here's, here's a little key. If, there's, if they say there's no budget, have them go to their DEI officer. Many times there's a budget in diversity that might not be available within in the budget for the group that you're training, but because you're trying to produce uh, in, inclusive materials, that can roll over. So you can sometimes find a way to find money for a translation service or to produce you know, materials, extra materials uh, for specific, um, specific audience members. Um, you can make sure your PowerPoint is visually accessible. Um, what do you think about what you're looking at on your screen right now? I like the fact that you're using minimal words and you're using a pretty significant size font where I would assume, I don't know this scientifically or statistically, but I would think that if someone did have a visual impairment, depending upon what it was, they could, mm. they could still see some of this information. Right. I, I, oh, go ahead. No, I was going to quickly add, uh, it's the blue for me, uh, because I happen to be a parent of an autistic child. I know that blue is a soothing color. And so uh, that's something that I knew is used in presentations. I did not know that. Thank you. That's very good to see. I mean, that's why I love to make these participatory, because we all learn from each other. Thank you. Um, then, of course, we get into a pilot or, or testing. So when you're doing your pilot, can you make sure that you have people, if you know what your audience makeup is going to be, can you get people into your pilot that represent your audience so that you can get their feedback? Uh, you know, that's very important. Sometimes we just send it to a colleague and say, hey, can you run through this and see what it looks like? That's not enough if we're being inclusive, unless our colleague happens to be one of the audience members or representative of one of the audience members. So it's important to make sure that even before you push it out the door and, and, and go live with your, with your training, and this can apply to presentations as well, make sure that it's looked at by people that were, are representative of the people you'll be presenting to. 
So now we have implementation, and this is really putting the training into action, of course, implementation. So uh, this requires creating an implementation plan for conducting the training and also conducting the training. And how do we can look at inclusive from this side would be location. Know your facility. You know, <laughs> are there, are there um, I mean, it's standard best practice to know where the bathrooms are, you know where the emergency exits are. But what about accessible restrooms or private nursing spa spaces? Um, and in some countries, not just the United States, but in the United States as well, the law requires reasonable accommodation for those with disabilities or religious obligations. Where can you direct them to go to be most comfortable to, to carry out those obligations or to meet those obligations? And of course, how, I'm sure we have had so many conversations about words. I'm not going to browbeat this. We all understand that words matter. But not only that, be aware of your speech patterns and your vocabulary. Are you speaking too quickly? Are you presenting to people who speak English as a second language? So does it make sense to speak like this when everybody else is just barely able to understand you when you're uh, speaking at a more normal pace or a slower pace? What about vocabulary? I, one of my first trips with Deloitte, I went to Miami with a group of, of, of um, consultants. They were the people who configure um, computer applications. And I couldn't believe the amount of slang and jargon that was used in, in the presentation. And it was out of the box. Uh, let's think out of the box. Well, it's not just fuera de la caja. I mean, that doesn't have the same meaning in Spanish as out of the box does in English. And it took me by surprise and it slowed me down in my ability to translate for my colleagues because I had to suddenly think, how do I, how do I say this in the, to get the meaning across rather than just translate the words? So I know we all know that jargon is, is not good. Especially, you know, we all come from different industries. Every industry has different jargon. Sarah and I both volunteer with the Red Cross of, of, of America in Colorado. One of our training materials- <laughs> mention it, Sarah, mention it. The, I, the acronym guide. <laughs> when you get the acronym guide, it's 40 pages long. Mm. And mm. the training is chock full of acronyms. And I'm like, that's absolutely inaccessible for almost every volunteer. Mm -hmm. Nobody understands what that means. And they don't need to understand what it means. Nope. I mean, it's not like training for the airlines where you have to memorize every air, airport code. Uh, you don't have to memorize it all. But it's a pain to have to go back to that guide and look up what does this acronym mean in the middle of a conversation or training program. So, you know, being aware of that is very important. Um, so again, words count and it takes practice. You're not going to be perfect the first time around. And that brings me to accept and acknowledge your fails. Not just like my colleague who had to, who mentioned it in front of all of her gala attendees that she overlooked a religious holiday but accept them yourself, acknowledge them. It can be one-on-one. -on -one, uh, if, if someone had said, oh, I hate your, your presentation and I'm, it turns out that I have this type of colorblindness that makes it impossible for me to see purple on black. Well, you know, hey, I had no idea that that exists. I've never heard this before. I'm just pretending. I had no idea that that might exist. And so thank you for bringing it up to me and I'll be sure to take that into account with all of my future presentations. You know, acknowledge, accept, acknowledge, and move forward. Hey, Paul. And yes. I'm sorry. I was just going to ask, can I share a resource before we move on to um, evaluation? Because I think it really does fit here. Absolutely. Um, when I was, a lot of times when I was training uh, new instructors, uh, I would always ask the question, because again, it wasn't strategically put in there, but I just thought it was important to mention. So I would always take kind of an impromptu poll asking uh, my participants, how many of you think sometime within the course of your career, whether you may be speaking or training an audience that is not necessarily your same culture, i.e. American, uh, because globalization is very real. So we, we now have, you know, employees from different countries and nationalities and origins, 
Or could you find yourself perhaps on a plane headed to Chile to go teach a class? And if that is the case, you need to brush up on that culture. And I know for me, one time I was tasked with uh, teaching a course in the Netherlands. I had never been to the Netherlands before. So I lucked up on finding a book called Kiss, Bow, Shake Hands. I'm not sure if you've heard of it or if anyone else has heard of it, but it's a really, really nice book that kind of gives a synopsis. Each country has probably about three or four pages devoted to it of kind of the cultural norms and some of the do's and taboos. So you can learn a little bit just in a kind of a quick summarization type of a deal of maybe some things to say, maybe some things to avoid, to not say, to avoid. And even if you didn't purchase the entire book, they have supplements. Kiss, bow, shake hand, Asia. Kiss, bow, shake hands, Latin America. And I just think it's a wonderful resource, even if you don't find yourself necessarily getting on a plane and doing that, but just to be a little bit more culturally aware. So you are reminded about locations. Okay, did I schedule some time, maybe for Muslim people who have to, 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 to um, take a break to go pray? Is this word offensive in it or gesture? Geez, if we start talking about gestures that work here but don't work abroad. I mean, so these are some things that I think if you really wanted to set yourself up for success so you don't have to acknowledge so many of those fails, it really comes in as a nice handy resource. This made me think of the partner that I worked for for most of my time at, at Deloitte. She traveled, so I was part of the global compliance and reporting, so tax compliance but we were implementing new processes and procedures to standardize it all around the world. Um, and so lots of travel. And this partner, her name was Jen. She had learned because in Latin America and in Chile, everybody kisses. Uh, you walk into the office and you spend, I mean, the joke is that you spend half of a party saying hello to everybody and half of a party saying goodbye to everybody. Um, you walk into the office and Chileans among each other, they if you're a girl, you get kissed. Um, it's, it's what happens. I mean, until you say, no, I don't want to. And the guys even hug each other. And that's every day in the morning to say hello. Well, of course, this did not fit Jen's style at all. And she became very good at extending her arm locked in place as her way of saying, I don't feel comfortable with this. With the, this is my personal space. So she learned about the culture, but it doesn't always mean that you have to adapt to it. Um, and, but I, I think, Jeff, you make an incredibly important point. We need to understand the culture. So is it flat? Does that mean, you know, are we going to be able to have an interactive conversation when I have partners and staff in the same room? Or is it incredibly you know, um, hierarch hierarchical? Um, I feel like I looked like a seal as I was trying to say that. Um, is, it, is there a lot of hierarchy? Uh, and so we're not going to get the staff participating when their superiors are in the room because they're not supposed to speak. And, you know. uh, so there's a lot of very good information in that. So I absolutely support that 100%. And if you'd like to, um, in the chat, go ahead and throw the name of that, that book in there. And maybe we can capture that and, and uh, have yeah, it I totally available. already did that. Oh, great. Perfect. I knew you would, Sarah. It's my job. <laughs> Thank you. And finally, the, the last element is, of course, evaluation. And this is where, this is one of the steps that often gets overlooked. We do a very bad job sometimes. And as a project manager, I know this as well on projects. We do a very bad job of copying or capturing what went well, what went wrong. But of course, the idea is to have awareness and knowledge, behavior, results, uh, you know, how did everything go? Uh, and it also helps to review the actual training system. Maybe there's something systemic that we need to take into account. So looking at this from a, 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 an inclusive mindset for the evaluation, add a question to the post-training questionnaire um, to the participants. Um, maybe did the trainer facilitator create an inclusive environment or something along those lines, whatever fits with your, your style? Be honest, and this again goes back to acknowledging your failures and accepting your failures. Did you display any unconscious bias that wasn't corrected in the moment? I mean, we all have it, we know that. How often are we talking about unconscious bias now? We all have it. Um, how, did we do something that we can learn from? Uh, did you overlook some preparations that created difficulty for the learners? Document that for future courses, and of course, for yourself moving forward. 
And then how do we make this part of our train? How do we just, as again, bake it into our training programs? Well, update your best practices. You know, document it. Mention, and that becomes institutionalized almost, that when you mention this worked really well, this inclusive perspective, you don't even have to necessarily call it inclusive, but you can say, you know, preparing a large print manual worked really well because it turns out that some people, you know, some people had some vision, pro uh, vision problems or someone forgot their glasses. <laughs> you know, it's something as simple as that. But updating your best practices and documenting the outcomes of these programs is very important. And that's how it becomes kind of institutionalized or baked into your organization's um, uh, training structure. So now I'd like to, before I move into personas, do any of you have any thoughts about what I just mentioned through those five stages of how, at least using Addy, uh, do we develop a training program? Does it sound like I'm on the right track? Is there something you would do differently? I think that's, I think it was very, pretty comprehensive. The one thing I will say is also when you update best practices, don't forget that that's a process of handing down to maybe newer trainers or people who are creating training that are just not aware um, to allow them to be inclusive, maybe in spite of themselves. Mm -hmm. Because and, in reality, not everyone gives a shit. And it's important that we almost force it, honestly. Well, and if, how do we do that most If you can't do it intellectually, do it through best practices. Mm -hmm. And model it. Absolutely. You know, there's nothing that's going to be better to, to, to show people how to, how to be inclusive than you being inclusive yourself. Everything that you do day to day, you should be modeling what, you're, what you want others to be doing. So I think, I think that's very important. So moving into the personas, um, I'm going to go back, and I don't know if any of you were in some of our very, very early lead meetings, but Sarah uh, had a presentation on empathy. And empathy is a skill that you can learn. It's not something that you're born with necessarily, but you can learn it. Well, in the design thinking process, developing empathy actually involves creating personas because this is how you learn to be empathetic towards, in, towards, I should say, groups of people. Personas are not individuals, they're groups of people. We're going to be using them a little differently. Uh, so in business, personas were developed by marketing and sales as ways to group people into specific categories and then target them with specific information. So you would have uh, in my case, I work for a workforce management company, a workforce um, consulting company. So we look at payroll managers, HR managers, uh, business analysts, hourly employees, salaried employees. Those are traditional personas in business that, that, come, to, that come out because someone's targeting a group that share a same characteristic, which is in this case, a role or responsibility. An inclusive persona is based on social identities. And this is where we look at things such as, and this is the social identity wheel. You'll see that I have it, um, you'll see at the bottom here, um, it's from Arizona State University. There are 11 social identities here. However, there could be more. You can make your own wheel, but this is the one that's most commonly used today. So we look at these different areas sexual orientation, religious or spiritual. I'm not gonna read it all. You've got it on your, on your screen. I hate it when people read a, a slide to me. Um, but these are really great ways of being able to take that, that kind of sterile business persona and create an inclusive persona based on people's social identities. Now, I, and it's important for me to say this, social identities differ from personal identities. Obviously, we're not targeting individuals. We can't. We don't know everybody's personal you know, identity. Um, it's important to recognize that. We don't want to make people feel like they're being grouped into a group, so we don't refer to this in our sessions. We don't say, oh, you all are the, are the people of national origin. You're from someplace. No, we don't say that. But this is a great way to get us thinking about who our audience might be. And now we come to an exercise that um, I'm going to get into. Uh, I'm going to walk through the example, 
and then Sarah has volunteered to go first. But I'm going to ask those of you who are comfortable coming off mute and perhaps running through the exercise using one of the social identifiers um, to contribute and see what you think of based on what we see here. So we're going to start with a social identifier. And in this case, we're talking about first language. The persona, let's create someone who, who fits into this persona. So Rafael recently immigrated to the United States from Peru. He left a lot of good food behind. Um, yeah. He grew up speaking Spanish. He's proficient in English, but not fluent. So you would create an individual that fits into the social identifier. What are the possible training needs or accommodations that you need to look at? Well, he may benefit from written, printed materials that he can review ahead of time or reference during the session. What are some of the obstacles to participation or solutions? So he may need to concentrate more than others during group discussions. So this is especially when you might be aware of your, your, your pace of speaking and also how many people are in groups. Maybe Rafael would benefit from being in a smaller group rather than a larger group in a breakout. Content review and changes. Well, you know, here, most of the content should be understandable for him, but there are idioms, again, out of the box thinking. Well, it's not pensando fuera de la caja. Uh, that just means you're thinking literally outside of a box, which makes no sense. Um, or references to US pop culture. So maybe we can find some more universal examples or we can be prepared with alternatives. If you have a great cultural reference that really drives home to the majority of your, of your learners, it might be appropriate to, to use it, but be prepared to explain it for those people who might not understand. So Sarah, does that give you a good understanding of what this exercise is all about? And would you like to choose a social identifier and run through the exercise? Sure. Um, I do want to point out that people tend to use ethnicity, race, and national origin interchangeably. And they are not the same. Uh, you could be a person who is of the black race or able, one of the many black races, but your ethnicity is Puerto Rican. Um, it does not mean none of those things are the same and you need to be sensitive to the giant mix that you may have of each one. Um, so I am going to choose the, probably the one that's on most people's minds right now for many reasons, the physical, emotional, and developmental disability. Um, and I'm specifically choosing it because my partner is Asperger's. Um, and he learns the opposite of the way I do. He hates personal interaction. When he learns, he likes to be able to read it on his own. So my persona is going to be a random person named George. Um, George has uh, mild Asperger's and specifically works, say, uh, in IT, which is very common. Um, he tends to be introverted. So for him, a possible training need or accommodation also includes giving him written materials ahead of time so that he's comfortable in it. What usually, you know, traditional training is done uh, physically together. Um, it doesn't make him comfortable. It makes him uncomfortable. So this would allow him to maybe sit off to the side so that he doesn't have to be close to the screen to see it. Um, and it would allow him to follow along his own pace in a book and write down questions. Um, the obstacles to participation would be tons and tons of interactive activities. Um, it, he does not super enjoy having to have long conversations with groups of people who think at different paces. It makes him a little nervous. Um, so for him, it may be worthwhile to put him in a smaller group or in a group with other people who seem to be more introverted, if that's possible to do. And content review and changes. Um, as far as a, a disability intellectually, you would not need to change anything. What you would absolutely want to do is think about um, how you assess how well he's absorbed the information. Um, it may not be through something he exhibits in a one-to-one -one interaction, like a conversation he has with his manager. It may be in something like an activity that he could do online. For him, it's better to do online activities. So there we go. 
thank you very much. Yeah. That was that was quite comprehensive. Oh, sorry. Was it no, not, supposed to be? not at all? No, I enjoyed it. I, I appreciate oh, that, and it was a very good example. We are coming to the the bottom of the hour. So, does someone um, would someone else like to? And there's no. I mean, this is the first time you're seeing this in most cases. So, um, would anyone else like to take a, a try at using one of the social identifiers and walking through the exercise? Or I can, I can pick someone. A quick. I just wanted to say something really quickly in response. Can I just mm -hmm. respond to um, when Sarah was talking? It, well, looking at this and coming from education background, it makes me think of like how can we um, how can we accommodate by like changing the format of the training it, itself? Like mm -hmm. in the teaching world, project based learning and like kind of buffet style learning is like like the point of that is to accommodate all the students so that the teacher can like walk around and then like do one-on-one. -on -one. Mm -hmm. And I'm wondering if, um, if there are any, have you ever had an experience where the training is not like I'm talking at you and then you go off? <laughs> <laughs> you know well, what I mean? Like, mm -hmm. it just <laughs> yeah. It, you know, and the type of training of course, depends on what the objective is. Um, if it's technical training and it's something that people haven't seen before, it tends to be very much of a presentation style. Click here, click here, do this, do that. Got when it. we're looking at change management, so within a change management role, there's a lot of lead up to the training. There's There are processes and stages before mm -hmm. you actually get to the training where you're putting out communications and for mm -hmm. some groups, facilitation wow. makes sense. One of my favorite things was working with the partners um, in this business transformation that I that I ran for Deloitte, because you know we would present here, you know, what do you think? Here, here's what our clients are saying. What do you think? And then we'd have a two-day program, and at the end of the of the two days, I would come back and say, what do you think? And during that time, there was a mix of presenting ideas, presenting how we are going to get to the future state, but also getting the conversation going. Um, and I think when you want to look at a facilitative type of program, it's good to have people with different levels of experience. Um, mm -hmm. We had, we knew there were some countries that were adopting the technology because it's technology and we could monitor it. Uh, we knew that there were some <laughs> countries that were adopting it and using it as we were hoping that they would and countries that weren't. So when mm -hmm. I invited people to these training programs, I made sure not to just invite the underperforming countries, but to invite mm -hmm. a few of the high performing countries and let them have the conversation rather than me saying, you have to do mm -hmm. this. Because yeah. those countries that learned what the benefits were and really what is a training, it's all what's in it for me at the end of the day, what's in it for me. Um, you know, you can sometimes learn from your colleagues better that lesson. From an education right. point of view, I don't have that experience. However, I do know that with adult learning theory, things change all the time. We're mm -hmm. getting away from the specific types of learners, kinetic, you know, things like that. There yes. are new definitions right, right. coming out all the time. And I'm not, I'm not an adult learning theory expert, so I don't want to touch on that. But what you're saying is very valid, and it is affecting training and learning all across the board, I think at all ages. I just don't know mm. enough to comment on it too too well. Thank you for that. Sure. I'm glad you have that experience. And I love that idea of a buffet. You know, hey, here's here are different ways to learn the same thing. You know, choose the way that that works for you as long as we all get to the we all get to the necessary right. outcome. Um, Gloria has a question and it's going to be the last one. I absolutely suggest that we all connect on LinkedIn. Okay. Um, and if you are not a member of the lead group, it's a great place to have a chat in a private group. Um, I'm also going to announce our pride series at the end of this. Uh, but for now, Gloria Tabby, take it away. Okay. Thank you so much, Paul. This has been really awesome. I've Thank just you. been taking notes nonstop. But I just wanted to just say something that can come up with DEI design and this whole space of DEI and supporting organisations is that sometimes the fear of not even 
um, organization embarking on this journey is that it's cumbersome. You don't have to like everybody in order to make the uh, effective. Mm -hmm. And as that last slide that you just showed, you know, knowing about the age, the personality, I mean, these are things that are quite time consuming in terms of being able to sample all the people within your training group about these elements. So how do you personally do that? Like, do you organically go through all these persona exercises before you train? Because I think that is a real blockage for DEI consultants to understand how that's done effectively, but not so, it doesn't take so much time that the actual um, outcome we want for DEI can sort of go um, unaccomplished because we are spending so much time. And, and I'm not saying it's not important, it's very important. And I approach DEI saying that, you know, we're not going to like everyone that we meet. We don't need to understand everything that they do or, but we can be mindful. We can be equipped with history and understanding to provide training that is naturally inclusive without having to personalize it to meet everybody. What's, what are your thoughts on that, Paul? I think you're absolutely correct. What many of us do automatically and without even thinking about it is we run through this persona exercise in our own minds. For people who aren't quite as experienced though, this provides a, a tool for them to, and again, this is a skill that can be learned. Once you do it, you don't have to do this for every single program. Once you do it, it starts to put you into that mindset on a regular basis. And so now I don't pull out this persona list at all, or, or I mean, I've got the wheel, you know, in, in a few places around my, my office, but I don't go through this, this particular exercise anymore because I don't need to. But at one point I did, yeah. I needed to be reminded of some of the different social identifiers that I need to take into account for my training. Once you do it though, and it becomes a, a skill, it's, it becomes almost automatic. So it doesn't take up a lot of time. That, that's really, really true. Yeah. yeah. Thank you. Thank you. So I have the Q&A slide, but um, before you all, and I thank you for your question, Gloria, <laughs> and, and now we're at the Q&A slide, but I want to ask you, what do you think of this slide based on everything we've been talking about? Go ahead, Jeff. I know you have an opinion. You're on mute, Jeff. Sorry. I, I was trying to figure it out. Paul, flesh that out a little bit more because I want to say contribute, but I'm not sure I understand the question. What do we think about this Q&A slide that we're looking this at? This particular slide. Is this an inclusive slide? <laughs> I, <laughs> I want to say no. <laughs> based upon what I now see being animated. No, it's not. I think right. it's at its original intent, most instructors would be like, let me ask some questions to include everyone. But I do see now, you've created a whole lot of awareness for me tonight. And I've been doing this for a long time. But I do see now as you're animating some of those things, it's more inclusive. And I'm assuming because I only speak one language and it's Southern English. I'm assuming <laughs> that these other animated things that you're coming that that you've just uh, uh, populated is basically asking Q&A in different languages is that my correct assumption exactly exactly but now how, it's inclusive are you going to throw every, so what what could we do i have one slide coming up that is my recommendation rather than Q&A what could be an alternative sticking to english to make the slide more inclusive Go ahead. <laughs> Perhaps we just say questions. Yep. So people don't questions have to understand correctly. Exactly. What Q and A is because that's an acronym, and again, non-English speakers may not be able to literally connect those dots. Is that what I'm hearing from you? Every exactly. country I've ever worked in, Q and A means nothing. 
Um, you went to China Q and A. What does that mean? Got it. So that's the end of my um, my actual presentation, the deck, etc. Um, if anyone has any questions, I'm very happy to stay on the line and speak with you. Uh, obviously, this is something that I'm passionate about, not just training, but also getting DEI into training. But at the same time, I want to respect your time. We went a little bit over our, our, our in my time zone in Mountain at 635. So um, I hope we didn't cut into your dinner time too much. But if you're happy to stay on the line, I will. Otherwise, I'll turn it over to Sarah to talk about some of our upcoming events. So I'm so excited about our Pride Series, guys. Um, we have some super heavy hitters coming. Um, I, let me see if I can share my little poster. It is Dustly. Yes, let's do that. Let's share that. Okay. So I wanted to talk about people who are marginalized within a marginalized community. So we're gonna talk about aging. We're gonna talk about disabled folks. We're gonna talk about young professionals just starting out and indigenous people within the LGBTQ plus community and what we can do to make things more inclusive for people who are marginalized in a marginalized community, which is almost unimaginable to me. Our first group, um, we have, <laughs> So amazing people. We have Mandy Carter, who uh, was one of the people who started uh, the Black Justice Pack. Um, she's been at pretty much every big event that exists. Uh, we're gonna have a reading from uh, the author of the Stonewall Generation. Uh, we have a college president and we have a business owner who is starting a group specifically for LGBTQ plus aging folks. Um, I will get this all posted very soon in our group and on LinkedIn. And we you'll be able to sign up for all of it or some of it, whatever you want to do. And it's going to be amazing. I'm really proud of it. So thanks so much. Bye, yeah, absolutely. Bye, Paul. Lovely to meet you. <laughs> it was nice to meet you. Thank you for joining us. Thank you again for tuning into this episode on the Leading People First podcast. We hope you can join us next time live as we come together to learn, activate, and empower to make a difference in the world. Again, we meet every Thursday at 7.30 p.m. Eastern, 4.30 p.m. Pacific. You can find more information about the group and our events in the show notes down below. Don't forget to click that subscribe button to hear more of our conversations moving forward and be sure to share this episode with someone who needs to hear more. We're excited you've joined us in this movement. Let's go out into the world and lead together. Stay awesome.